0: good morning everybody what do y'all think y'all like it i love it. it feels so good to be up here in this space these windows the light i love it um what's up balcony good to see you guys uh i'm alvin for those of you who don't know if you're here for the first time i serve as lead pastor here at the church, and uh, this is just a very exciting day for all of us. So, congratulations to the whole church because we're all going to be able to enjoy this. Um, I'm filled with gratitude today for obvious reasons. Um, I do want to just thank the church for just being so faithful during this uh, waiting period of the past two years of getting into this building. I specifically want to Honor our pastoral staff, uh, Lucy and Marion and Joel with the kids. They work around the clock. And I couldn't do this without them. Couldn't do this without them. Um, we've got an amazing board of directors who have been major uh, advisors and support for me during this process. Uh, Harry Allen, Charles Cleveland, and uh, I did this first service, but Raybon White, Raybon White, Raybon White, Raybon White, Raybon White. And I say that because Mr. White, who's sitting right here, he probably doesn't want me doing this, he has done so much of the behind the scenes work of getting us into this building. It was way too much for me. I couldn't do it all by myself, and he took so much of the weight so God bless you and your wife, Miss Jenny. Thank y'all so, so much. I can't tell y'all how many hours and calls and emails uh, Mr. White has done helping, helping me out because it was a lot, as you can imagine. So praise God for you, thank you, sir. Um, Rick Scheimer and Blackhawk Sound, they have done all the production, all the video, all the audio. Installed it all. Their team is amazing. They've really set us up for success here. Uh, Dream Inc. is our contractors. They renovated this whole space. We've got our electricians, Roger and Ryan, two awesome men of God. JR Industries. Uh, TBN and South Rock for their partnership and their support. Um, and then really just the team of this church, like our creative team, our kids team, our guest services team, our finance team, our prayer team, pep talk. I mean, it's just, it's amazing how much we can do when we work together and so much of what you see uh, and just, yeah, all the details, it's from this team, especially the past couple of weeks coming in, training, learning the new space. Uh, giving their nights, coming in the past couple weeks, setting setting up, moving chairs and moving more chairs and moving more chairs. So thank you, team. We love you. I love you. I appreciate you. Um, I want to thank all of Nashville Life and those who are watching online for your financial contributions to this building fund. That's how we're here, literally. All of this would have just been a dream if we didn't have the resources, and so much of that came from your generosity, from you choosing, whether it was $2 or 20 grand, or anything in between. Uh, God bless you, thank you, and I hope you're enjoying the fruits of what you have sown into the ministry and will continue, because God's gonna do a lot of major things in this space. So, praise God for you. And last but not least, our founding pastors, my parents, Pastor Love, Pastor CC. it was their vision that got us into this building. They picked this place. They're the ones who signed it, said we're doing it. So thank you for your faithfulness and your support with me, and they've just been a great source of wisdom. Honestly, them as well as my overseers, uh, I'll call them the apostolic uh, elders of our church, senior pastors who have been pouring into me, encouraging me when I was discouraged, when I was getting impatient, uh, when I was getting frustrated. I was so grateful to have men of God, other senior pastors who've been through this 10 to 20 times over the past ministry, over their ministry and helping me when I, you know, first timer, was getting flustered and just, why well, isn't it happening yet and what's going on? They were the ones that are just really keeping me at peace and giving me the word of God and giving me their stories uh, that have encouraged me and kept spurring me on. So I'm so grateful for those overseers. And um, just for being here and for being awesome and for being my grandma, I have to honor Dolores Winans over here. I'm so grateful that she just happened to be here on this weekend of our opening. That was all chance. So, I hope you're proud of us, Grandma. Um, and uh, she loves the word, so let's hope I preach it accurately. Uh, so pray for me, and let's get into Scripture. Uh, let's let's say this together: The Word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it, and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, Amen. amen. All right, so we're halfway—just about halfway through the year. Uh, The theme for 2022 at Nashville Life is withstanding the wind. That's the theme for the year. That's what I believe that the Lord is training our church to know how to do—to withstand the wind. And that reference is inspired by a passage in Matthew chapter three, verse twelve where John the Baptist is talking about Jesus. And this is how he describes Jesus in this passage. He says, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is a metaphor that John is using describing Jesus. And he's describing Jesus to a harvester of wheat. And apparently the ancient ways and the old ways of harvesting wheat, there was a winnowing process. And winnowing is when you used the natural winds that were blowing or you would generate your own wind with a fan. And you would use this wind for a very important purpose. And that would be separating the wheat, the part that we do eat, from the chaff, the part that we don't. And the reason why wind works for this process is because chaff, the thing that we're trying to remove from the harvest is very loose and very light and it doesn't take much wind for it to blow away from the harvest. Meanwhile, the wheat has a natural weight to it to where it's able to withstand the winds that are blowing. And I think it's very interesting and very important for us as a church to take heed to John describes this process to what Jesus is doing with his harvest. And unlike wheat, his harvest is people. His harvest are us. And what happens is he allows winds to blow through his harvest, figurative winds, trials, tribulations. All these sort of tests, all the things that are happening in the world, different seasons, you name it. Whatever he uses it, and it's not to damage the harvest, but it's to reveal the harvest. Those who are secure in Christ, those who have their faith in Jesus, though we will be challenged by the winds of the day, we won't be blown away. And the thing about chaff is those are people that that for whatever reason aren't rooted in Jesus. They might be around other people who are. They might be in the mix. But for their lives, there's there's no real faith in him. And unfortunately, when the winds come throughout the church and throughout the harvest, uh, the Bible says that many of them are blown away. And at Nashville Life, we're trying to do our best to make sure that as few people as possible are blown away by the winds of our time. We want this church to know how to withstand winds. We want this church to be rooted and secure so that not if but when the winds blow, we will still be standing long enough to endure for when Jesus comes back, we'll be here ready for him. We'll be secure in him, uh, fixed on him and secure in him. But it's more than just talking about it. We actually have to train. We have to prepare. So we're talking about different winds each month so that this church is a lot more secure and stable uh, given the craziness of our times. Uh, the wind for May is the wind of change. We are talking about the wind of change and the role that change can play in people's lives. There's a lot of changes that happen in all of our lives, social, uh, economical, physical, all types of change, location, uh, vocation. There's tons of changes that happen in our lives. And if we're not careful, these changes can uproot us from the things in our life that aren't supposed to change. And I want to talk about... Uh, scripture that really sets the tone of, of the changes that occur in a human being's life. And most of you guys, if not all of you, will relate to, to the differences that you see in this passage. And that's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 through 8. It says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. There's a lot of different times for different things in our life which lets us know that change is inevitable and not only is change inevitable but change is biblical it's in the bible we see that there's so many changes that are happening and will happen in our lives as long as we're on this earth but I want to give you guys a little bit of insight on how to really rightly divide scripture how to accurately consume scripture and this is something that I've picked up along the way, and it's really given me a lot of help. And that I have found that for every scripture that causes you to lean this way, there's another scripture that will pull you back this way. And what will happen is, the, the that's why it's so important to embrace the totality of God's word, the full word, because unfortunately, there have been several groups who have, in error, have taken, you know, that one scripture, and they lean all the way over there, and they end up falling over and getting totally out of balance. And what you see is, that's why it's so important, because when you read God's word, and it's, you, honestly, and it's usually the very next verse, honestly, like, when you read one, just that's why you got to keep reading, because it'll pull you back to where you'll stay in that sweet spot of the will of God. It's a balance, and it's 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 uh, it's both this. And that and the, un, the immature mind and the unbelieving mind will use the argument of the Bible contradicts itself and the Bible is this and it's confused and all of that is just an agenda to uproot you from the foundation and the authority of God's word. I've learned that it can be very convenient to believe that the Bible is somehow not complete because then it's not worthy of being the authority in your life. But I promise you, the Bible is true and for every scripture, that that makes you want to lean this way, the Holy Spirit gives you the other scripture that kind of keeps you from from going too far over this side or too far over this side and it keeps you at the sweet spot of where Jesus is. I love it because it's so true. So yes, change is biblical and the reason why I have to say this is because as much as there's a time for all these things, imagine if someone used Ecclesiastes 3 to go to their spouse and say, hey, you know, baby, The Bible says there's a time for everything and it's no longer time for me to be your spouse. It's like, that wouldn't work. Or if it's like, you know, hey, little Timmy, I know I'm your mom, but, you know, the Bible says there's a time for everything and, you know, it's just time for me not to be your mom anymore. Like, Timmy would be just crushed. And we would say, but it's in the Bible because the Bible says that there's a change in times for everything. And what happens is we'll abuse these scriptures and use instability and lack of commitment and a lack of follow through to just we'll we'll try to justify that with the fact that there's a season for everything so while yes there's change in our lives there are certain things that are not meant to change imagine going to Jesus and going hey you said in your word that you know there's a time for this and time for that I don't think it's time for me to follow you right now but hey it's biblical right We all know that that's not right. We all know that that's not using the scripture correctly. And it's important for us to know that, yes, while change is inevitable, change is only godly when there is proper anchorage, when there's a proper anchor in our lives. Anchoring is so important. The definition of an anchor is, I looked up in in Webster, it says, a device usually of metal attached to a ship or boat by a cable and cast overboard to hold it in a particular place by means of a fluke that digs into the bottom. Another definition is a reliable or principal support. Another definition is something that serves to hold an object firmly. Obviously, anchors are usually used for boats. And boats are subjected by two elements that are always changing and always shifting, and that's water and wind. So whenever you are in a situation where there's a lot of change, the success for that thing, there has to be an anchor to keep you secure in the midst of all the change. And all I'm telling you guys is the scripture that says that there's change happening and there's a time for this, to me, that's one big message of saying we need an anchor, because we are in a life of so much change. We are subjected to so many changes, and the only way for us to be successful through these changes is if there's an anchor, because the same Bible that says there's a time for all these different things is the same Bible that says that we can't be tossed to and fro like the wind. So how can the same Bible that tells you there's going to be a whole lot of changes in your life... The same Bible that tells you you can't be tossed to and fro, you gotta be stable. That means that there has to be an anchor. Otherwise, without the anchor, we will be tossed to and fro with the wind, and that's what you call unstable. And God is not calling any Christian to be unstable. Why? Because he's our firm foundation, and if we're not stable, what hope does the world have? If we're not the light, Where will the light come from? If we're not the salt, where will the salt come from? If we're not the stability, then where? You tell me. Where will the stability come from? Anchors are needed where there's change. Anchors are needed. And the good news of the gospel is God has provided that anchor. He's provided that anchor through Jesus, who the Bible says is the same yesterday, today, And forevermore. And in a world full of change, it's so important to identify those constants in your life. And I can't think of a greater constant than Jesus because the Bible makes it clear that he never will change. So if you hold on to him in the midst of all the winds, you will find stability for your soul. You will find stability for your family. You will find stability for all of the things that are in your life. Even in the midst of all the changes, it's pretty amazing when it happens. Another thing that he's provided is his word. Jesus says in Matthew 24 verse 25, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So he goes, heaven is subject to change. Earth is subject to change. My word will never change. Even if the world is literally upside down, God's word will still be standing. And that's good news for us. People who are subjected to so many changes, our emotions are up and down, our bank account is up and down, our social life is up and down. We have to find something that is constant and Jesus is saying search no more. You have found that solid rock in Jesus and in his word. Jesus supports your soul with his unchanging word. Hebrews 6, this is such a good passage. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 through 20 says, We, all of us believers, we have this as a sure, which means certain, and steadfast, which means consistent, anchor of the soul. So the Lord has given our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, a secure and a steadfast anchor. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So forever is another word. Basically, there's a lot of things that are going to come and go. But Jesus, I'm so happy that his reign is not seasonal His reign is forever. It doesn't matter if it's winter. It doesn't matter if it's spring. It doesn't matter if it's feast. It doesn't matter if it's famine. His reign is forever, and it's a constant. And anyone who's wise, who wants stability in their life, fix your eyes on Jesus because he is the one person and the one name that will never shift or never change. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2. I like this scripture. Paul is talking to Timothy, who's a young pastor, and he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Every word in the, in the, in the scripture is important. And I believe that Paul stressed in season and out of season because he knows Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And he knows there's a lot of different kinds of seasons. So he had to make sure that Timothy knew that your readiness to bring the word of God cannot be seasonal. Your readiness to preach God's word cannot be this is off season, this is in season. He said it doesn't matter what the season is. If it is season, if it's not season, you have to be ready. And the reason why I think it's important because we as believers or as people, you know, we can just get, I don't know. I don't know if any of you guys have ever done it, but sometimes it's easy to find a scripture that can justify your time or your time of disobedience. And if you search hard enough, I'm going to let you guys know, the way, I, the way the Bible is, if you search hard enough, you can find something to justify just about anything you're doing. Which is why it's so important to consume the whole word of God. Because when people do this, they'll say this. I'm like, well, you know, God, it says this in the Bible. I said, well, it also says this. I'm telling you, for every this, there's a that. That keeps you accurate and keeps you from running and creating your own world off of those two scriptures that justify and make you feel better about the season of life that you're in. Even though it's not the will of God. People do it. I'm not saying anybody in this room does it. But people do it. I've heard. I've heard that people do this. So be careful that it's not, that it's not us. So Paul had to say, Timothy, you've got to be ready in season and out of season because Jesus is coming back. And God forbid... There's someone who could have received Jesus. There's someone who could have a destiny in heaven, but because the church chose that it was the off season for preaching the word of God, or that we were called to a season to not share the good news of the gospel, God forbid someone who could have heard ends up missing out on Jesus because we called it off season. And sometimes we do that, we'll call our own off season for making disciples and sharing the goodness of Jesus. But there are people in every season who need to come in, who need to know that it might be their last day for all we know. The Bible says tomorrow's not promised. There's more scriptures on that from Jesus. But I wanna also comment on this because I I, I tend to preach, and sometimes when I preach, I can hear the arguments of the flesh, and I always try to call out those arguments if they come to my mind because sometimes those arguments can really be convincing to keep you out of the will of God and it can keep you in your season of disobedience and I feel the need to just bring up certain arguments that stick out to me because sometimes they're my own arguments that I've had and sometimes I can just sense them in the room. Um, So in case anyone's thinking this, This scripture about being ready to preach the word in season and out of season. If you look at the context, Paul, the apostle, was talking to a pastor. And oftentimes, we as the church can use the argument of, well, this was for a pastor. A pastor is supposed to be ready in season, out of season. I'm not a pastor, I'm just saved, I'm just a Christian. So therefore, it's his job to be ready in season, out of season, but it's not really mine. And I have some very um, inconvenient, if that is your argument, some inconvenient scriptures that might make you think otherwise. Um, I believe they're convenient scriptures because they're truth. So I'm just kind of being funny about that. But if you have arguments and if you're trying to find ways or, or you're scared to step out and it's just easier to think of it, that's just not my job. I've got news. I've got news that we all have a job in here. We all have a job in here. First Peter chapter two, First Peter chapter two verse nine says, "You talking to the church. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Priest means minister. You are a priest. Everyone who's a Christian is a priest in the kingdom of God." Everybody, not just the pastors, not just the people on stage, not just the the leaders. If you have been bought with a price by the blood of Jesus, the Lord considers you a priest in his priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light." This is a very profound but very simple scripture. Essentially, all the word is saying is if you've been called out of darkness into his light, your only responsibility or your responsibility is to talk about the one who did it, to praise the one who did it, to share about the one who did it. That's it. That's, that's, and it's, I have to make it that simple because it is that simple. I mean, just imagine Being in a physical house that was physically on fire and you had no way out and your neighbor, we'll call him Bill, across the street comes into the house and knocks down a door and pulls you out of the fire. Imagine having to be motivated to tell people that I was in a burning house and my neighbor Bill came and pulled me out. Like, I don't think any of us would need to be convinced Or motivated to tell our family and friends that we were about to die and Bill came across the street and broke through that window and let us out the house. But for some reason when it comes to our salvation, our spiritual life, our journey, it seems so foreign to some of us. And honestly, guys, I just have to be real. If it's too foreign, perhaps it hasn't happened yet. Perhaps some of us have not been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus. Maybe that's not your story yet. And if that's not your story, that's okay. That's why you're here. So it can be your story. But guys, I just can't, knowing how it's happened for me and so many others, I just can't imagine actually experiencing being in the depths of hell in your soul and being stuck in darkness and experiencing the power of Jesus pulling you out of death into light. And then there was, the Bible says, too much is given, much is expected. And I don't even think it's that much. I don't think God is asking too much for people to give him credit for saving us. That's all. That's, that's what your ministry is. He says, proclaim the excellencies of the one who did it. Like the woman at the well. She was saved for two minutes. And she went out and said, Yo, I met this guy that told me all this stuff about me. Guys, that was enough to bring the whole city to Jesus. I feel the need to simplify. Guys, you don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to, you don't even have to know how to read to have a testimony. That's why, that's why the Lord's going, Guys, I'm not asking you to give anything I haven't already given you. Jesus is kind, He's fair. He's not going to ask of you something that you don't have. He's not going to ask you to do anything that you don't have the means to do. He's not that kind of God. He's, he's just. If he's given you a testimony, he's only expecting you to share that. And I promise you, you might not think it's much, you might not think it's great, but that your story is enough to change the destiny of tons of people. And let me tell you too, in case sometimes when I say tons of tons of people, a lot of you guys check out because that just seems too extreme. And I'm with you. I got you. Tell one person, because the kingdom, the way the way salvation works is it has a multiplication uh, like gene in it. There's there's a there's an ability to multiply. It's, it's, it's found in the gospel, it's in the spirit. So when someone receives the ministry of reconciliation, they now have the ability to share it. So even if you just told one, first of all, I think all of you guys have more than one person in your life, but let's say you only had one person in your life. The gospel is strong enough to where when that person gets it, they will share it with someone else and you will have hundreds and thousands of people attached to your story and all you did was tell 15. That's how the kingdom of God works. He's not putting the weight of 10,000 people on your shoulders, but he is holding you responsible for people that are within your wheelhouse. He is holding you responsible for the people who are in your contacts in your phone. He is holding you responsible for people that you see on a daily basis and spend eight to 10 hours with all the time. And he's fair to do that because it's within your space. And again, if he did it, If you have that story, I'm sorry. I just don't believe that someone who has experienced salvation in the way that the Bible says that salvation is of you being moved from death to life. You shouldn't have to be stirred up too much. Maybe a little bit, but not too much to tell somebody about it. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 Through 21, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So that's anybody who's saved. Anybody whose sins are forgiven. And if I ask if your sins were forgiven, I I know I would see tons of hands in the air and praise God. But again, with every blessing that you've been given, there is a requirement attached to that blessing. There is an expectation attached to that blessing. And if that's not cool for you all, then that's just the way it is. Like the blessing is free, but the blessing comes with an expectation. It's scriptural, which is why we have to read the whole Bible so that we can understand that with all the mercy, that's what the Bible says, that it doesn't work to be forgiven and not give forgiveness. Because once you receive forgiveness, the Bible says now you are now responsible to give forgiveness. And he goes, if you don't forgive forgiveness, it cancels your forgiveness. So we see that with every blessing that we have, there is a requirement. There is an expectation from the one who gave it to you, which is God. So let's say everyone here is a new creation. Hallelujah. That's a blessing. The old has passed away. All of your sins are totally forgotten by the Lord. He washes it totally away. Your sins are totally canceled. Your slate is clean. That's a blessing. Behold, the new has come. So not only is the old passed away, but all these new blessings, all this new perspective, these new relationships, this new this new demeanor, this new pers- all, I said perspective already, but it's all coming. Verse eighteen. All this is from God. So all of your forgiveness, all of your mercy is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us. The ministry of reconciliation. So, what happens is the minute you are reconciled to God, you were also given a ministry. Every single person, every single person who's been forgiven by Jesus has been given a ministry. Your forgiveness came with a ministry. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So now you have the ministry of saying the same way my sins were forgiven, yours can be forgiven too. The same way that I was healed, you can be healed too. The same way that God moved and changed my life and freed me from all the shame and addictions and bondages I had. You know, you can have the same story if you want. And it's a very simple offer. You're not responsible of them saying yes but you are responsible for offering. And I think some of us mess it up. We we take the responsibility for their response. That's between them and God. You can only be responsible for what you're responsible for. You cannot be responsible for if they say yes or not, but you are responsible to offer in case you didn't know. Because a lot of times we go, well, that's God's job. No, God's job is to convict them. Our job is to make the offer. Our job is to say, can you come? It's God's job to move in their hearts to want to say yes. Some of us are relinquishing too much over to the Lord and relieving ourselves of responsibilities that the Bible says is ours. And this is not, it's not optional. It comes with Our mercy, our forgiveness with our salvation. So verse 19, so Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them. And entrusting, guys, everyone say entrusting. Entrusting. Guys, it's pretty sober, but Jesus is entrusting us. This is more than just like a cool idea. This is more than just, hey, guys, what if we started sharing the gospel? He actually is depending. He's trusting us. I want want that to hit for some of you guys. Jesus himself is trusting everyone that he has saved to carry this ministry of reconciliation to others. He's entrusted us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we, the church, all of us, are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So every time you share the good news or you say something that God has done for you or you invite someone to church or you invite someone to life group, or it's God himself asking them through you. It's such a big deal. This is not just person to person. This is God, the creator of the universe, trying to reach that neighbor of yours through you. This is why he takes us so personally because it's his invite. He's the one that, he wants them in way more than we want them in. But he's holding the ones who have received this miracle. Because surely if anybody can be motivated to share, it's the ones who are benefiting from it every day. Surely God is going, the ones who are willing to share are the ones who are taking full advantage of my mercy. We have no problem saying, I'm a new creation, God doesn't call all any of my sins against me. Like, we say that without any conviction, without any hesitation, because it's a blessing. It's a very cool benefit to, for all of your mistakes to no longer be counted against you. But I'm just saying with the same faith and the same acceptance, we're like, deal. Like, we don't need multiple scriptures. It's amazing how we don't need multiple scriptures to believe that we've forgiven of our sins. Like, if someone tells me that Jesus is going to forgive you, oh, great, I'll take it. We're not like, what's the Greek? Uh, What's the, we'll take the mercy all day to hear that we get to get off from all of our mistakes and we're let off the hook. That's amazing, I'll take it. But the very next scripture says, yes, but he's also entrusting you with a ministry. And all of a sudden then it's, well, you know, I'm, and we start naming denominations and I'm this and I'm this and I'm this. Where were those denominations when it came to his mercy? We take the mercy easy. But when it comes to our responsibility, all of a sudden we start going and what's the Hebrew and what's that translation say? For some reason, we never need the Greek for forgiveness. We never need the Greek for forgiveness. Forgiveness, I know what that means, I'll take it. But when it comes to what God is calling you to do, all of a sudden it starts getting real technical. His mercy is never, I'm not really in a season of receiving mercy. We're always, it's always time for mercy. But when it's time for the Lord as entrusting us to, do, all of a sudden it's, I don't know if it's the right timing. (laughs) Guys, we must repent. We must repent. The ministry of the gospel is not seasonal. It's not even time for this. I'm telling you, I'm getting ahead of myself. Jesus lays it out very clearly, way better than I will. Uh, or I could in the scripture, but let me keep going real quick. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 15. Ephesians 4, 11 through 15, are we okay? Are y'all good? He gave, this is what the word says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Too often, guys, I feel like I need to let you guys know that this is in the Bible, because oftentimes, generally in church, we believe that the scripture says he appoints apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to do the work of the ministry. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that those five offices are to do the work of the ministry. It says those offices are to equip the saints, which are the Christians, to do the work of the ministry. We are here, church leaders are here to equip you, to let you know that you can do it. You have what it takes. Your story is enough. You don't need more to be effective in the kingdom of God because you've been given the same, the Bible, guys you know the the Bible says that every Christian has the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave living inside of him? So you're telling me that you have the spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, but you're not equipped to be effective in the kingdom of God with the three coworkers that you see? It doesn't make sense. That doesn't even make sense that we have the power to to raise the dead living inside of us through the Holy Spirit. And it's my job as a pastor to say, you can do it. You can do it. I promise you. I know you might be nervous, but you can do it. Trust me, if you step out, you will see. And, guys, I've had, this is why why I do this so confidently. Because I've had so many people over the years who swore they couldn't do this. And I get, there's no better feeling than getting that phone call from that person that says, there's no way I can do this because of X, Y, and Z. Being like, Alvin, I did it. I, I, I told, oh, my God. I remember one time this woman was so scared of opening up a life group. And she was so scared. We had this challenge where we were evangelizing the people. She was like, I just. I don't think I do that. And I was like, I think you can do it because you got the Holy Spirit. I think you can do it. And she was so excited. She witnessed to a girl and she got saved. She was like, Alvin, it works. It actually works. It works. And I was like, yeah, I know, I know. So, so this, is, this is within your wheelhouse. I promise you, don't let the devil win. Don't let him win in your mind, disqualifying you and discouraging you and telling you that this is not for you. And if you do it, you're going to make a fool out of yourself. Or if you do it, you're going to mess up somebody's life. All of those arguments, I know those arguments, they are not from God. And if they're not from God, they're only from one other place. Sorry, i got to keep going. Verse 13, until we all attain... Sorry, to equip the saints for the, for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. God's will for your life is for you to mature to adulthood, to manhood in the spirit. And I'm not talking about biological maturity to manhood because you don't have to be saved to biologically develop. You don't have to be saved to intellectually develop. But you need Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the equipping of the church leaders to mature you spiritually. And this is the alternative. I love this. Mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The Lord wants us to mature to where we are fully embodying his character and his faith and his perspective and his vision and his commitment to the kingdom of God. So that, and the reason why, guys, here's the deal. There's, uh, there's really no, like, middle ground. There's no stagnant. Stay. Oh, people think I'm stagnant in my faith. No. You're either progressing or you're going back. It's like a, it's like driving on a hill. Like you're either pushing forward or you're rolling back. That's how this spiritual walk works. And the cool thing about it, the reason why I feel I have to give the whole scripture is because what we'll do is go, well, that sounds nice. That sounds great to receive the fullness. But I've got about a fifth. And I'm okay with that. I'll just stay with a fifth. And there's so many Christians who have chosen this option that doesn't exist of just staying put. The word says when you're not maturing the fullness, the alternative is verse 14 so that we are no longer, so that we may no longer be children tossed and tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So, what happens is when you're not maturing, the alternative to maturing is staying as a child, going back and forth, being tossed to and fro. Some of us understand, I, I don't have to ask for a show of hands. You know who you are. It takes way too little to shake you, it takes way too little to knock you totally off the path. One phone call, you're already just going, Where is God? One bad day, oh, my gosh, I guess my salvation is worthless. Like, I promise, it's, 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 it's not funny because it's real. Some of us, it's just the slightest disappointment. It's like, see it, I knew it, I knew it. Where is God? And, and the thing about this, if you're there, there's grace for that. But the word of God is letting us know that we're not supposed to stay Children. If you're easily tossed to and fro, that means you're at a childhood state of your faith. And there is space for that. But we all know this. There's certain things that four-year-olds do that once they're 14, it's a little less acceptable. There's a lot of babies in our church, there's a lot of diapers, there's a lot of things. And when they it's like it's normal. They're four, they're three, it's normal. But when four-year-old, three-year-old things are being done by 33-year-olds, we understand that we probably should call someone. There's there's probably an issue here. It's the same with the spirit. There are certain things that infants in Christ do. And that's okay because that's where they are. But 10 years, 12 years, and you're still in the same instability that you were you miss a few steps. And I'm just pleading for the church to allow the church leaders to do their job, which is to equip you so that you will mature in the faith and not toss to and fro every which way. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Everyone say grow up. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, and to Christ. So to me, this is the key to withstanding changes in our lives. Luke 9, 62, long, ver- long chapter, verse 62. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So basically, working in God's kingdom, doing the the work of the ministry, Jesus compares it to plowing and putting your hand to the plow and you're working. And he goes, Anyone who decides to look back, it means you're not fit. And if you're not fit, you're not disqualified. It just means it's time to train. Guys, where you are right now is not a sentence, it's not your destination. If you're in sin right now, you're in sin, but it doesn't have to be where you stay. If you're unstable in your faith right now, that's where you are, let's not stay there. If you're immature in the spirit, that's where you are. You're at the right place. This place is not for the mature only. In fact, we want it to constantly be with new, we want newborns coming through all the time. We want this to be a place where the new believer but in order for us to be healthy, we have to have the mature who are willing to equip. That's why I'm 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 a little bit less uh, tolerant, I guess, of people who I know know what they know, but are constantly trying to convince me and themselves that they're not called to equip the kids. The babes in Christ. If we don't equip them, how are they going to be equipped? That's why the vision of our church is following Jesus, building leaders. We were very confused with Nashville Life when we felt called to start Nashville Life. My parents, because there's so many great churches in the city. And we thought the last thing Nashville needed was another church. But we felt like there was, we felt we were supposed to do this. My dad was like, we're supposed to plant this church. And the assignment of our church, we said there We felt the Lord saying there needs to be more people willing to equip others. We need more leaders, people who can graduate from I attend to I equip. That's what Nashville Life is here for. Nashville Life has a very specific assignment. We are here to build leaders who can join the team of equipping the harvest that's coming in. It's a very specific assignment. We're not confused about our assignment, which is great. (laughs) I'm sure it'd be a lot harder if we were. Um, We're closing out. But, I wanna encourage the mature for a moment. Um, I was in South, South America, South Africa, South Africa. And there was a great, uh, I had a hosting family that they, uh, I went to a church, Pastor Bert in Pretoria, South Africa. And I had a host, a hosting house, this big old house great guy, great man, his family, wife and two kids. He's a big software developer, very successful, uh, very humble, but very, very well off. And he's a part of this church. And he uh, has two daughters. He had a life group. And his life group was one of those life groups where he had a lot of leaders in his life group. So from his life group, a lot of other life groups started and he was encouraging me before I left. He was just talking about endurance and staying in there. And he was like, Man, there's one time where there was a lot of stuff happening at work. And I was just stressed out. And I was just basically getting weary, which is a thing. You can, it's it's very possible to get weary, which is why there's a scripture that says don't get weary. Because it's very possible to get weary, even doing the right thing. And he was blessing people, making disciples, but he was getting weary. And he went to his pastor. And gave uh, what's really become a very churchy phrase, and that is, I'm I'm going to step down uh, from from leading a life group. There's a lot of step. Oh, you step down. I'll step down. You step down. There's a lot of stepping down. It's really become like a phrase in church. I'm stepping down from the so and so. I'm stepping down. And he said, Pastor, you know, I'm I'm stepping down from leading my group. And he said, Pastor Burt said something so simple to me, but it, it changed everything. And he said, Pastor Bert said, okay, I mean, you, you can, you can step down, but why not step up? And he was like, instead of stepping down, how about I step up? And to me, that is the job of a Pastor to get you to not step down, but step up to that next level of glory. Step up to that next level of maturity. Step up to that next level of capacity. Step up to that vantage point that's higher than what you had two years ago. Guys, we all have the option to step down, but all of us are called to that, to that, to that, I could step down, but guys, how much more help can I be if I chose to step up? Guys, Think about, we, I believe all of us have multiple Garden of Gethsemane moments in our lives. And that's that threshold where everything in, everything in you wants to step down, but there's something in you that says, I can step up. Guys, I'm so happy that Jesus didn't choose to step down. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that the scripture doesn't say, hey, Father, I'm sweating blood, I'm a little bit stressed, and I think I'm just gonna step down in Jesus' name, in my name, (laughs) I'm gonna step down. I'm so happy that Jesus didn't step down, but he stepped up even though stepping up for him meant torture on the cross. If Jesus can step up and be tortured on the cross, surely we can step up and witness to a friend, someone who we claim that we love. Last scripture, John chapter 4, 34 through 38. This is the words of Jesus. He says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That was Jesus' food. I know I'm going over. Jesus' food was to do the will of God. And I was thinking about this earlier, and I hope this sets some of you guys free, because really, this is really for your benefit. I know this, I'm calling you to do certain things that you might have been delaying, but I promise you it's for your goodness, the satisfaction that I'm, that I'm inviting you to. The, David said it's greater than, than, than fat on a steak. It's, God is calling you to a satisfied life, but you got to understand how your life works now. When you were before Christ, your food was your flesh. The Bible says anyone who's not in the Lord, their belly is their God. That's how you live, by how you eat. When you become born again and you are now in Christ, you have a new food source. So the things that used to nourish you don't nourish you anymore. When you are born again and you are now in Christ, and I know I'm telling the truth, some of you guys are not even satisfied in functioning until you are in obedience to God. And you're like, that's so weird, my friend is an atheist and he doesn't read his Bible at all and he's just skipping around because he has another food source. When you're not in Christ, you only can be sustained by bread and chicken and juice and all these sort of things. But when you become born again, Your food is now to do the will of the Father. So every Christian who is not doing the work of the ministry is malnourished. And you're wondering why you're not functioning half as well as people because you have a new food source. You were born of the Spirit now. You are no longer a person of the flesh. So flesh food won't do it. I don't care how many quesadillas you eat. I don't care how many meatball subs you eat. You will still feel empty and you'll be so confused. Because this used to do it for me. But Jesus goes, you're with me now, and we have different food. The way you're nourished is by doing the work of the Lord. We have different, if you are a Christian, you have different food. I'm telling you, bread alone won't do it. And you know I'm telling the truth. Some of y'all are delaying things, and you feel like you're starving, even though your pantry is full. Because your food is the same food as Jesus' food. He says, do not say. He's telling us, don't say this. Don't say there are yet four months. Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, Jesus says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Harvest already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together for here the saying holds true one sows and another reaps and i sent you to reap that for which you did not labor others have labored and you have entered into their labor i'm going to close with that because here's this is how this is how the harvest is always ready. I love God. You know how the Bible says like, you know how a, it, the Bible doesn't con- contradict itself? It's all, it doesn't contradict itself, it just completes itself. It's, it's all the parts, there's no, I'm telling you, it doesn't, and you can say all day long and I, will be, I won't even get upset. I'll be so confident and relaxed. It doesn't. It doesn't, because God is God. He's not confused. You are, he's not. Here's the deal. We know there's a time for sowing and a time for reaping. We know that. That's what agriculture, Jesus describes that. There's a time to sow and then you wait and harvest. And then he goes, The harvest is plentiful. It's It's right now, it's not later. So, how can it be both sowing and reaping time? And the scripture's about sowing and reaping, but yet you say we can reap right now. He says that's true. But the reason why it's always harvest time is because you guys are gathering what was sowed before you. So we in 2022 are looking at a harvest that was planted by people from the 70s and from the 80s who sowed seeds, died, and now the harvest that they sowed is in our 2022 time. What we do is go, well... There's no way it can be a harvest because I haven't been planting. Jesus goes, it's cool, I got that sorted. I have this figured out to where it's an overlap. So the sowers of the last generation are now our harvest. So when we sow, and the people that were inviting, that one that said no, even though you asked them eight times, I've got people like that that still haven't said yes. It's okay because there's going to be another generation or another church in a different city that's going to reap what I sowed. Guys, Jesus was not kidding. There is a harvest right now. And it's not far. I guarantee you, and I don't try to guarantee too much, but I guarantee you that every single person here has at least four, at least four people within your wheelhouse that are ripe for the harvest. And while Jesus has done so much of his work, he goes, This is a partnership. You got to extend the offer. You got to ask that person to dinner. You got to take that person to coffee. You got to ask in the coffee room at work, how's your life going? Well, tell me about your life. Just start some conversation going. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will give you the right words to say. Some of us are like, well, I just don't know. All the planners out here, like God bless you. But like don't, like you can't plan for everything. Some things you have to trust the Lord is going to do in the moment. You can plan for some things, but certain times you've got to trust that when we get in the conversation, the Lord's going to give me what to say. So I want to pray. I want to pray because I believe that there's a harvest out there, and I believe that as we are active in the harvest, we're going to find ourselves being stable and secure in the midst of all of the crazy changes that are happening in our lives and our world. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you, Lord, for the news and the truth that the harvest is ripe. Lord, the harvest is white. The harvest is ready. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us an anchor to keep us stable. Lord, the world is looking for stability. Lord, the world is so confused. They're so up and down, God. it's, it's, It's up one day, down the other. Lord, and you are calling the church to be anchored. You're calling the church to be stable, to be consistent, to be upright, to be steadfast. God, and this is not something that, that is too hard because you've given us what we need. You've given us your word that you promised would never change. You gave us your son Jesus, which you promised would never change. You gave us your Holy Spirit that you promised would never leave. So we thank you, Lord, in the midst of all the different seasons, we have an anchor of things in our lives that will never change, no matter the season. God, and I thank you, Lord, that you're letting us know as clear as day in Scripture that the harvest is not seasonal for us. It's right now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for that friend to hear the good news, to hear their story. God, I pray for you to encourage everyone who has a testimony, every single person here who's felt disqualified or felt not not enough to be effective in the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray, Lord, they would understand there is power. There is power that they're carrying simply in their story of what you've done for them. Lord, your word says that through us you draw people. You draw people unto you. So, God, I pray that every single person in this room who is a Christian is empowered, empowered and encouraged that they have what it takes to be effective in the kingdom of God. We pray for maturity. We pray that we would all mature. Lord, for those of us who were tossed to and fro today, Lord, we rebuke all condemnation. But God, I pray that you would give them a vision of maturity for their lives. I pray, Lord, that you would show them through a vision of the mature version of themselves. The mature version of themselves who's, who's not easily swayed like they are now. Lord, I pray, Lord, that vision would give them hope to keep pressing on and keep training so they can mature. God and lastly, I pray for those who have not experienced the testimony of being pulled out of darkness and moved into your light. Those of the, those people who are still in darkness today, God, I thank you that you led them to church. Lord, I thank you you led them to this message. I thank you that you led them to this offer, this invitation to come into the love and mercy and grace and family of God. God, I pray Lord that they would have a desire to take that step out of darkness and into your light. I thank you that you've already paid the price for their sins. You've already shed your blood. All they have to do is say yes. And the journey begins. So I pray for all all groups, the non-believers, the immature believers, and the mature believers. I pray that all of us would take a step up. All of us would take a step up. In Jesus' name, let's all stand. I'm going to invite all of us to approach the throne of grace together. Now, some people in this room have prayed this prayer already. Some other people have never prayed this before, and it's all good. We're going to pray this together, and I believe that God is going to be so blessed by hearing men and women claim Jesus today and receive his sacrifice. So repeat these words after me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day in the name of Jesus we pray amen let's lift up a sound of thanksgiving let's lift up a sound of gratitude a sound of praise a sound of faith a sound of obedience hallelujah if you said yes to Jesus congratulations We ask that you let us know. It's a real simple process. You can text BELONG, because you now belong to the family of God, to 77411. And you can let us know that you said yes to Jesus. You can also receive prayer from our team on your way out this way. So they're gonna be right here. They'll be happy to pray for you. If you have any prayer requests for any needs, let us pray for you. We're here to do it. If you would like to get more involved With Nashville Life, we have next steps happening right after I say amen. It's up the third floor, so one step up and one floor up, we'll have next steps. I'm leading it today. I would love to meet you, and that's just to let you know about our church and how you can learn more about our vision and how to get involved. We won't keep you long. If you would like to give thank you in advance, your giving and tithes and offerings and building fund, all those things, it matters. And it's how we're able to worship here. So please text Nashville Life to 77411 or you can give a physical offering. Our finance team will be in the back lobby ready to receive your offering. So thank you in advance. I love y'all, congratulations. We are up here in the new sanctuary. It's our first Sunday. So you're part of a historical day. You're part of a historical day. And I will pray. Father, thank you for the word. I pray, Lord, that it touches our heart and it transforms the way we think, the way we process information, the way we make decisions. God, I pray, Lord, that it would bless us and bless all the people that we know. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great rest of the day.